Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. From code to closets, safety to skylights, we'll take you behind the walls and all things home building and renovation. And give you the ins and outs from the experts on what you should know. In plain language. About home building, design, and renovation. I'm Mike Friedman. And I'm Jennifer Lee. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And don't forget to share with your family, friends, or anyone else you know who might be thinking of a project in their home now or in the future. We have met Senth from Sassen Homes, and he is going to be talking about one of the scariest topics, and that, of course, is budget. It's scary if you don't talk to Matt ahead of time, but if you talk to Matt, it won't be scary. It shouldn't be something that intimidates you. It should be something that helps both of you maintain your objectivity in the project because it's really, really easy in any sort of project to go, I'll just add this, and I'll just add that, and all of a sudden, you're over budget. So he's going to help with the planning. Planning is really, 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 really really important to successful results and that way there's no issues with budget and the budget stays where it's supposed to stay and it doesn't gravitate way bigger than it's supposed to be and just understanding the budget because sometimes when people give you a budget sheet it can just look like a whole mess to you you're like i don't understand what this is and so you want to be able to know like why am i paying for the extra coat of paint on that wall you want to know all these things because at the end of the day the more you know about the nuts and bolts of your home then uh you're going to understand why it costs the way it costs and why it's important to have those things in your home for longevity. I'm so excited to uh, have somebody in the studio besides Mike and I, <laughs> which I do enjoy your company, Mike. I just nice to have another person in here. We've got Matt sent from Sassen Homes. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you both. Hey, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Right. Perfect. And for people that don't know who you are, and this is kind of your time to uh, shine, can you let us know a bit about your company? Who sure. are you? Sure thing. So uh, Sassen Homes, we used to be Sassen Design and Development Inc., but uh, Sassen Homes is the is what we've been operating under for the last little while. We are a full service uh, residential renovator and custom builder. We operate mostly from New Westminster to West Vancouver. We have won, uh, I'm pleased to say, pretty much every major award there is to win. Haven Awards? Haven <laughs> Awards, yeah, yeah. So we struck our company uh, as a proprietorship in 04. So from 96 to now, really, I was I, I started as a laborer on construction. It was still the 1900s. I was awesome. in construction. And like you said, you have other things behind you too. And I think that makes you a well-rounded contractor. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those things before you got into construction? I'm married. I've got two daughters. They're teenagers. I have a 15 and a 14-year-old daughter. Oh, what happened? <laughs> in, in these COVID days, they're pretty great kids. But I studied in, in political science and religious studies. And, and, and then I went on to do some graduate work. Uh, I got a master's in divinity, which has no practical application in the world, except as a pastor. I happened to be Lutheran in 2012. Because I did mine part time, obviously, because I was uh, I was also doing my apprenticeship at the same time. The course of study, I was ordained as a as a pastor in the Lutheran tradition. So right now, I'm the interim pastor at 
Oak Ridge Lutheran Church. So could Mike and, and I go and like watch you in action? You can. In fact, <laughs> you don't even have to come because the doors are shut oh, yeah. uh, in these COVID days. But you can tune in to my weekly uh, reflections. Other things that I was reading about you that I wanted to uh, ask you about that I already had the Haven members dig information on you. But it said that share an interesting fact about your life. And you said, I have climbed to the oh, top yeah. of the Great Pyramid yeah. of Giza. Yeah, yeah. I Googled that. Apparently you can't do that. It's you can't. That was in. Oh, you were fact checking me. Yeah, I was. It says you, you could go can't. to jail. This was in this was in 1989, tail end of high school. We oh. went on a on a school trip. It was amazing. We landed in Cairo, went to Aswan, Luxor, all the way down the the Nile, and then back up. And I did all kinds of world wonder stuff. Stood in front of the Sphinx. I mean, it's so depressing. It's only it's as big as this table. I heard Kentucky Fried Chicken's across the street from it. So it's... it is. If you look, I'm, you're absolutely right. If you stand on the pier, so in those days you could. We climbed up it. We climbed up uh, with our tour guide Khaled. I still remember. It was amazing. And we looked this way, and you thought like, I'm, I'm in, I'm in last uh, Indiana Jones Last Crusade because it was desert, and you know you'd see a camel and so on. If you turned around and looked that way, it was the full city of Cairo with yeah, like a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever. Let's talk about your Netflix guilty pleasure because I just yes. watched the movie of this the other day, yes. and I do like it. We're spooling up to watch it again, Downton Abbey, my wife and I. I don't, I think it's just I love it because it's such really well written character development. You know, there's nothing and, and quite dare I say sort of wholesome, right? I mean, there's some racy bits, ooh, but it's not, nobody's getting their head cut off or, or cars blowing up and whatnot. It's really, it's really great character development. And at a time in history, I was reading somewhere that at that point between the two wars, something like 48% or 42% or something like that of all people in England were in service, were working as a valet, as a butler, as a cook, as a uh, stable boy, as a whatever. Can you imagine that? Maybe not for, I don't know, it was an improbable percentage. And so it's, it's a window into a world that we don't uh, <laughs> clearly have anymore. No, I, I, I love watching as well. On a building note, too, I just love yeah, taking a look yeah, at the architecture because it's gorgeous. It is, it is, it is. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating. There are a series about that, about what has happened to all these great manor homes in uh, in England, but yeah, they're, they're disappearing by the second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a great deal of them gone by the wayside. They just don't have the money to no, keep them, no. and they're just falling into disrepair, which is tragic. Yeah, Seems like an opportunity for some of our haven builders hey, to get together hey. and write some of the wrongs of history. Let's do it. Let's do it. We've done, I mean, certainly not on the same scale, but we've done some uh, some heritage work in, in places like Queen's Park and New West and so on, and I, I love that work. If That's I where I grew up, was Queen's oh. Park, yeah. So we did Thrushvale. It actually has a name, uh, but across from the Armory at... Oh, yeah. Like down it's near like City Six Hall. and uh, Queens. Queens and Six, exactly. Yeah. For a lovely family there, and, and that was 1899. That house was built in. And as we were taking off the awful stucco that... It had been smeared with in the in the seventies. It was like an architectural, or, or sorry, archaeological dig. We were pulling out all these amazing hand carved knee braces and all this stuff that had just been clapped up with chicken wire and and you know one by four and, and buried. So that was really really fun. Yeah, so so many great aspects, of course, to building. And one of them when you're wanting to build a home is, you know, the scary topic of budget, mm-hmm. which not everyone likes to hear. And I always laugh when I watch certain TV shows on HGTV and they're like, <sighs> what's your budget? And they're like, $100,000. And they're like, I can work with that. And then all of a sudden <laughs> they go back and they're like, oh, sorry, we ran into some asbestos that we didn't, you know, even plan for. And so uh, we're going to need more money. And then they get into a fight and none of this gets put into writing. And you're just like cringing is somebody on the other side. So can you tell us what is the first step that somebody should understand about the world of budget? I'm making it sound way more cool than it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, first, let me, can I say this? Uh, HGTV, grr. 
HGTV, thanks. Thanks for the help. Don't bother. Well, you mean um, you can't build an entire house in three days? You know, and for, yeah, $100,000? Oddly enough, no. Or 50000 is sometimes the budget. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's, it's super frustrating. I mean, you know, HGTV, hey, they've done a lot of great things in terms of up the level of education and, and people's awareness of different technologies and, and maybe sort of the life of the contractor. But it's TV, right? And, and so there, there's a lot that's, um, you know, a standard by which we're supposed to be operating here that is fantastical, dare I say. So the very first thing about budget, disclose it. Tell your contractor not what you think it costs. That's not your job. That's their job. But tell them, hey, I have X amount of money to invest in this thing. And ideally, like before you go and buy a car or go and buy a watch or go and buy whatever, you have a sense in your mind of, well, I want a Volkswagen or I want a McLaren. And then expect to pay for what you're going to get. Uh, but disclosing it is, is the key thing, especially if you're if you're doing a design build situation like we are. Uh, how many times has it happened where we have got you know drawings? Can you quote these? And so we meet the clients a little bit. We take their drawings. We take them home. We pour over them for two weeks and come back with this really well articulated, detailed scope. And it's going to be eight hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars, Mr. Smith. And Mr. Smith is on the ground, and everybody's time is wasted, right? Because we didn't have a, an opportunity to say, "What do you want to spend on your rental, Mr. Smith?" And oh, four hundred thousand dollars. Okay, well we'll just take these plans and throw them out and let's talk about what we realistically can do like we want a chance to after the design phase because we got quite a few phases you know after that for you to be happy and thrilled and, and engaged well the people you're working with know relatively what these things cost and i think that goes back to establishing that initial trust and in building that relationship is saying i have x dollars to spend the right professional in this industry will say we should be very close or they should be able to say we cannot do it for that amount of money and setting expectations i think it's hard too because we have so much especially with social media like back in the day you would get like the new house and home and like be like oh maybe I want this or whatever but now you can go Pinterest you mm. go house people are building their pages they're mm. they're setting so much expectations for themselves and it's not usually aligning with their budget and they're like but I want that beautiful home that I taped to my Pinterest page and so as a contractor it's hard because you don't want to crush their dreams you, you want to help them in a realistic way that's going to satisfy them at the end so if we were to percentage this out right let's say 75% of people they want a beautiful bathroom but they're in that third let's say to thirty to $40,000 a bathroom. Well, all these amazing bathrooms that they're seeing pictures of on House and Pinterest, that's not the $30,000 bathroom. That's the $60,000, $100,000 bathroom. So exactly. There's great things because people can see what they want and love it. How do you get them from their dream images that they collect from Pinterest, from House and magazines? Um, and how do you get them from there to their actual real budget? Yeah, well, uh, I, I think you want to, and somebody said earlier on in the interview, to uh, manage expectations, right? It's great, first of all, if they've done that, that they've collected images they've ripped the, the the page out of the magazine and they have something when you arrive so that you're not trying to you know tell me what i like so if they've done that that's great that they're on the right track i think in terms of matching that to their budget you need to have you know the manage expectation talk uh, as quickly as possible so first please disclose your budget to us so we can say this looks really good this is very doable this really uh, is going to pressure that but maybe end up in disappointment so but i would say the key thing is i would hope from our clients that they would allow us the time dig into uh, things that are really complex, right? I mean, it, it, it did lots of moving parts, lots of options for finishes, lots of, uh, of, of stuff going on. Give us the time to really dig into that, right? Uh, it's a major investment. Don't ask me what's a ballpark figure and I say a number and then 10 months later, it's down. but you said it, we have, but we talked about something completely different, right? Uh, let me get my trades in here. Let's see what's going on in this, especially in a rental situation, what's going on in this existing building. Let's have time to really explore this super complex thing. Matt, I'm a consumer. I'm a homeowner. I'm looking to do some work in my house. Hmm. 
you made it very clear we have to start with a budget. But sometimes that budget's an arbitrary number based on what I can get a loan for, not necessarily reflective of what I can actually do. And we all know our good friends on television maybe cloud the waters of reality as far as what we we can actually do and timelines and things like that. When it comes to setting up the initial planning stages, do you recommend we start with a list of things we want to do and apply a budget to that? Or do we start with a budget and then we shortlist what we can do within the context of that budget? So for the planning process for a consumer, even before they talk to you, what's the best way to get started that will create the most realistic reflection of what they want in a tangible budget after the fact? Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine that the conversation is even more high level than that to begin with. Like, wh- why are we here? Wh- what do you need? What are you trying to achieve? Is it just that you want a nice sort of gourmet kitchen and, and fair enough, you know, this is how we'll go about that. Is it that you've, you know, there is an addition to the family or you're going to do some intergenerational living, mom's moving in, we need a suite, this doesn't flow right, you know, it never, we never liked whatever it is. Have that high level conversation first. Uh, oftentimes, um, you know, the why will direct uh, the where you're going to push your, your, your finances. <laughs> Is there a general thumb for someone looking to establish a budget for their project? I mean, I can say $100,000 because that's the budget I have to spend, but that's kind of arbitrary. That doesn't really speak to what I can do, just to how I can do it. Do you have any guidelines, tips, or tricks so someone can start to think and fabricate some of these numbers in their own mind so that you both starting from relatively the same page? It's tough because finishes push a lot of it, right? And, and everybody's quite unique in that. But I would say this, if I walk into somebody's home and they say, so Matt, we want to work with you. We want to work with you because we we've heard that you're great and so on and so forth. Uh, Give us some sense around how these things are going to pan out. So I would say, you know, your bathroom, like you certainly don't go under 25K for for a bathroom, a full gut. These are all full guts. And and nobody really wants to do a partial bathroom, right? If we're going to do the bathroom, let's gut the whole thing and do everything properly. Because, you know, it's likely that technology in terms of membranes and in terms of energy saving appliances or fixtures and whatnot are elevated so much that you want to look into that stuff. So let's say, you know, 20 to 30 and beyond if uh, for per bathroom, per three-piece bath. For a kitchen, say, your average kitchen is again starting at maybe 50k you know with appliances and so on dollar amounts per square foot super difficult in rental quite easy in, in new construction i think or certainly easier but then again that if you look across uh, companies that changes and is pushed in different places depending on whether somebody wants a, you know all kinds of passive house technology in their house or their you know appliance budget is i mean it's it's really hard you, you sort of have to build these things from the ground up let's take a couple minutes and have a brief break i would like to say a huge thanks to our industry partners and our sponsor, Fortis BC, for all they've done to help us bring this podcast to life. Thank you for supporting us with this podcast, Measure Twice, Cut Once, to benefit homeowners and help them make the right building decisions the first time. And review us and please follow us. We are a brand new podcast and we would love it if you shared it with your family and friends. And by following us and reviewing us, you could win a chance to have a beautiful barbecue from Fortis BC. Barbecue! Oh, I love barbecue. And I I really love Napoleon barbecues. This is a Napoleon barbecue, so it's a premium cooking device. You can do some amazing things on it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to win it, and I'd probably use it to make some ribs first. That'd be my first cook, you know, slowly cook, rich, meaty, delicious ribs, dripping with sauce. (laughs) (laughs) We got to get back to talking about budgets, but uh, we got the point. (laughs) You can win a barbecue and make ribs. Awesome. Okay, let's get back to budgets. 
Yeah, and going into the next thing is there are two most common types of budget that are usually used. I know we tend to use cost plus a lot, and um, but a lot of people use fixed price as well. And right now, a lot of people are probably wondering, what does that mean? It took me a while to understand both. Sure. And I know they're hard to kind of make a Coles Note version of each one, sure. and there's so many things to do with them. But can you tell us a little bit about the difference between them? Sure. Uh, cost plus is fairly fairly straight ahead. You get effectively every dollar that's spent, it's disclosed to you, so the transparency people like that and there's a labor rate you're, you're given a list of the labor rates for carpenter and apprentice or designer and what have you and the builder discloses uh, our management fee or whatnot it's going to be 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever percent it's going to be and then everything you're making budget decisions as it goes with that model just like with stipulated price you get a budget you see the spreadsheet you know it's calculated quite precisely before you start or should be for goodness sakes on fixed price i'll say this there is no such thing as fixed no. price. It's stipulated price. So you get a, an exhaustive list of this is what we're going to do and this is what it's going to cost. And here are the things which require budgets because they're just so and here are the elements that we're unsure of and the boxes we have to check or what you will provide or, or whatnot. Personally, I like stipulated price because if I'm going to spend a quarter million dollars on a rental, I boy oh boy, I, I want to know you know where that number is going to land. Again, you still get the budget in cost plus scenario, but there is um, much more leeway t- for that to move. In a stipulated price scenario, you're getting a guaranteed price from your builder. This is what, it, all of this will cost this. There's so much information that people can find on it as well. Like if you want to read up more on these, I know that you can go to the Canadian Construction Documents Committee all as right. well. Because these are things people need to know because, you know, the contractor could be like, I work on a fixed price or a cost plus basis. And the client could be like, okay, I have no clue what it is. And, and then they don't think about it. And then Man. when you show them the budget, they're like, what? I don't, I don't get it. You know, most of the builders that I know can do both. There's a mm-hmm. familiarity with, there are some types of things that, that lend themselves specifically to cost plus. If, if you've showed up at a place and, and it's uh, there's rot, right? They know that there's some rot in the wall. Well, how do you fix price or stipulate price cost that? You don't. So, you know, because you're going to take those walls apart and you're going to get into things and, and it's an exploration more than anything else. So there are things that, you know, particular types of construction that lend themselves to one model or another. And I think in both of those scenarios, even the very best person can't predict what's behind those walls when they open them up. We call that the X factor. And sometimes you find things in there and all of a sudden you have to change some of the things you thought were going to happen. So let's assume I'm working on a project with you for $100,000. Should I plan on having that money for you all up front? Or how should I plan on working with you in terms of the payment timing, the flow, the cadence? How does that all work? Yeah, so all kinds of people do it all kinds of different ways. We like, again, on, in, the, in the stipulated situation, it, it's quite easy because there's typically a schedule, right? So there'll be a deposit uh, on signing the contract. There'll be something on, on start date when you're pushing out to buy lots of material and so on and get things ready. And then it just goes on a, on what we call a percentage completion schedule. So you, you'll pay 5% at demo and 3% at plumbing rough in and 6% at uh, drywall and so on and so forth. And over the years, that uh, I've seen many different things. Some folks have it relating to time and some folks have it related to, you know, other different things, how, how folks are getting this financed, right, based on, which I suppose is, is a percentage completion after after a fashion, but the key is to, to be given some sort of plan so that you can organize your money that way. And then in, in the percentage completion, the, the contractor's never really further out in front of 
the client than everything that's there, either material that's there or tasks that are complete. You see what you're paying for. It's on site. And the time, you know, folks who, who organize it on a time factor, well, what happens if uh, uncontrollable things happen? Mm-hmm. A pandemic, you know, uh, comes up or whatever, you're delayed in inspection or what have you. And, and all of a sudden, you know, weeks are tripping by and you're putting out this cash and nothing's happening on the job, right? Produces anxiety and anxiety erodes relationship and the process just really breaks down. Yeah, and I just think going back to that open relationship with your contractor and the more that you guys can have an open relationship and communicate, building process is going to be a lot easier it's, on the both of you. Uh, it so is. Uh, you know, I, I, when I first started in this, I thought that sounded a little cheesy to me. Hey, it's all about relationship. It sounded very salesy, cheesy. I am 100% convinced that is everything it is about. How are you going to communicate with somebody you don't like, that you don't have a relationship of trust with and whatnot? How are you going to do a reno without uh, constant uh, communication? So. Well, you definitely definitely need both but i think the other thing that you need even if you have the best contractor in the world and you have a great relationship and everyone is very clear and forthright of what they want you still need a piece of paper to protect everyone in the equation as well and getting it writing is probably one of the most important parts of the planning process before anything starts to happen can you talk about that from both the builder's perspective and also from my perspective as a as a homeowner as well how it will protect me these are big complicated endeavors right so structure that it's crazy to put this kind of money i think i I, while preparing for this i wrote about you know you're going to get a phone plan it's it's 10 pages deep this contract and what's a phone plan a couple hundred bucks a, a month and you're going to spend you know hundreds, uh, tens, certainly, or hundreds of thousands of dollars on your, on your, uh, on, on the biggest investment that you have. And you're going to do that on a handshake. That's uh, so yes. I mean, uh, good contracts. And I think you mentioned the CCDC uh, earlier on and, and it's not like the, the, there are not the bones of these types of things out there to be, to be taken, but any, any professional company will have had that in place for a long time. They will have tested it through multiple projects. They will have had legal look at it and exactly to protect not only themselves, but the clients. But let's uh, talk about changes for a second, because you know, me as a home starts working with you as a contractor. I get excited because I see everything happening. And then I want more changes as we get into the process. How does that change orders work? And because people are probably like, what is that? And um, how can you make sure that they don't turn out to be uh, giving you a heart attack if all of a sudden there's like a whole bunch of money you did not account for? Yeah, yeah. And feeding back into the conversation of getting it in writing. uh, How do you even know what's on or off the table if you don't have a a really articulated scope? I mean, these are complex things. A, A bathroom is one thing, but if you're building a new house or you're you know adding a top floor to a house super complex right our scopes are six and seven pages deep so the first thing is don't change the plan until you have another one in place and that's the key thing and that plan will be the scope if you're going to move off of that scope your your builder should have a process by which okay what do you what would you like done uh, let's uh, articulate that let's cost it let's say how many more days that's going to add to the schedule and would you like to do this mr smith or not i keep i'm using mr smith mr smith <laughs> would you like to do this or not um uh, and and then and then track that both the affirmative uh, both the acceptance of it or the rejection of it you brought up an important topic and that is sometimes not everybody is on the same page at the end because things change really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they change on the fly and let's face it, we're human beings. We don't always remember everything. Because we've smartly got it in writing and we've detailed the payment process, are there any recourses if the builder and the homeowner are not on the same page? If there's some incongruencies, how would they handle that and 
and how could getting it in writing protect both parties should that come to pass? I guess if you don't, then it's infinitely harder if there's not a scope to uh, to refer to. I mean, again, these things are complex, right? We often, the client will say, um, Sarita will write up a, a change order, an extra work order, and it'll be, oh, no, actually, referring into the back into the, the, the scope here. No, we did say we would supply a, a lit medicine cabinet or what have you. And then, great, problem solved, and we go ahead and do it. So even we are referring to these complex things that, we, uh, that we're building for guidance in terms of whose responsibility is it recourse in the absence of that well then it's just well i said but you said and and again these things are occurring over nine months ten months some of these big projects a year i don't know what i said 18 months ago or eight months ago i need that to be documented uh, to to know my responsibility and and for the client and the nurse for that matter and is it safe to say that if i don't have it in writing my legal recourse as a homeowner is diminished significantly or just a lot yeah yeah, well i mean the courts you know the courts i think are sensitive to, to to people spending this kind of money in particular on their home it's not a you know i bought a mclaren and i didn't know what i was doing uh, like this is where we live where our kids are so i think the courts are definitely oftentimes on the side of, of homeowners who have been obviously sort of built yeah having a proper contract having a, a well-articulated scope of what is going to be done and not done is is uh, uh it makes it much more easier much more efficient anyway in in court yeah, and there's another part to it that we didn't talk about because obviously it's not just the contractor that's building the home. If it is, then it might be a little slow, but there's so many different facets. There's so many sub-trades that are on it. So how do you know the suppliers and trades are getting paid and, and how do you work out the budget with that? Yeah, yeah. So again, in a stipulated model, I mean, this is what you're learning. Uh, this is what, when you're interviewing your contractor. This is what you're finding out. What are their relationships with uh, with their subs, with other clients and so on? There are a number of ways in, in the CCDC legal contract here in, in Canada, um, a 55-day lien holdback is, is typical for, for projects over $100,000. I'll tell you from the point of view of a, a residential, uh, quote-unquote, smaller residential builder, so let's say under $10 million, that can be onerous. It's an onerous admin piece for, for us, uh, and, and how it goes is essentially that for every invoice, let's say it's $100,000, a $100,000 project or uh, a $200,000 project, you'll go to the bank, you'll uh, set up a joint account with you and the client, and then every time you invoice, you're actually going to get two checks back. You're going to get uh, one for 90% and one for 10% that will go into that joint account. And that's held back against deficiencies at the end. It's a good system, but it involves a lot of, uh, I mean, it makes sense, but it involves a lot of admin and a lot of extra accounting and so on. The, what we have done in the past too, and I think what reputable builders can do is get uh, signed documents from each subtrade that have been on the job saying we've been paid. Uh, and, and you're going to get that when you have uh, um, contractors that have long-standing relationships with their trades. And I think that's the thing you touched upon is like, we've been working with some of our trades the whole career of our business, which is over mm-hmm. 22 years. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you do interview the contractor, you want to know what kind of relationships they have with us. So important. And, and think of the management to, in terms of cost savings and time savings and so on. If your uh, plumber has been working with your tile setter, who's been working with your framer, who's been working with your drywaller for 10 years, I mean, imagine the management savings. Everybody knows what they're doing. Every, you know, the plumber knows just exactly how we should, uh, you know, lay his flange on top of that tile. And the tile setter knows just how, how the plumber likes it. And there's just so much savings when that happens. Again, relationships, right? Works like one machine. <laughs> yeah, and, cl- and clients, you know, their, their confidence is way up because they're seeing people, hey, oh, hey. And, and it's a it's a big uh, you know reunion every time you're having the job and, and it's just the flow is just so much better that way i have a question for both of you mm-hmm. as you're talking about sub trades you are both in the building business 
what happens if I, as a consumer, want to bring one of my people in? So often it happens for the audio video stuff, which is where I have to get involved. A, is that something you recommend? And B, is that something you can protect all of us for by putting it in writing as well? Obviously, you are building the project. If we know a guy's at, do you recommend we bring our people in or... <laughs> no, me and you, you, we, uh, you I, I don't know if I should touch this topic. We're both backing away uh. from the mic here. No, but this is important information right, because right. you may think, yeah. oh, we want to give business to a friend of ours or sure. we'll save a few bucks. That sure. can actually potentially be counterintuitive to the entire process, can it? Oh, yeah. Say your opinion, then I'll say my opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say that we we uh, somewhat jokingly say if, you, if you'd like to bring your brother's cousin's best friend who is an electrician onto the job, it's a 20% extra management fee. But kind of lightly, but kind of not. So again, it's not just just the, the little pieces we're putting together and so on. This is a whole house thing. This is a whole system, a whole thing. We're, we're, we're hopefully doing the design. We're going to build this thing. We're going to put our warranties on it. We're going to stand behind it. And if we introduce a different element into that, it just sort of mixes up the whole thing. That that element might be independent of our management structure. That's a key piece, right? We need to, people to execute things on a particular time in a particular um, series. Or, or And if uh, somebody else is not responsive to that, that could just mess the whole thing up. So ideally, no, you may not very similar answer it's the same thing as because like i know with us my dad and my brother really take the time to really if we hire any new trades really know their work and the quality of work so it reflects at the end in, in your brand essentially right because you are promoting all these people so the one thing that you don't want to do is promote somebody and then they do a bad job and then the client's unhappy because mm-hmm. we don't want to make the client unhappy no. our end goal is to make you happy and in the process too i mean imagine if uh, so our plumber does let's say uh, $300,000 of worth of work for us in a year. Well, that plumber, if that's the first time or if you've got them through some uh, less sort of tight uh, relationship, they're going to do $20,000 of work for you. Imagine if I get on the phone and they're doing $300,000 worth of work for me and I say, hey, over there at the Johnson job, you know, we need you right away, so stop whatever you're doing and get over there. The reality is that the, the, these people, we have some drag with these people. They're doing a big part of their uh, yearly budget with us. So when we say, no, we're staying here, we're getting this done, it's going to be received better. Well, I think it comes down to a lot of other things as well as you bring someone in who you know on the job and all of a sudden they drill through a pipe and flood the basement who's liable is it you for bringing them in or is it you because it was your pipes and there's a lot of accountability that goes with that as well that's a great question us the contractor is everybody in there is under our umbrella so that's in insurance that's in work safe that's in everything and that's a part of what you're purchasing with this you know the management fee that everyone's always like oh come on it's so high think of what you're purchasing with that like peace of mind you don't you don't have to call plumbers and call people people and call whatever else you're calling one person and they're dealing with the one the person you have a relationship with and they're and you're on the hook if something goes wrong it and is, that's what totally that management is. fee is helping for it totally is yeah. so what i'm hearing is you should work with someone who has insurance <laughs> <laughs> yeah and verify that do your due diligence not i mean not only cost of construction insurance but do they have um you know in good, are they in good standing with work safe you should be running those uh, homeowners should be running those checks right Thank you so much, Matt, for coming in today. If you want to learn more about Matt, what he does, ask him any questions, uh, some that maybe we didn't get to, like mm-hmm. how he builds motorcycles in his spare time, um, all you need to do is go to sassenhomes.com. Anything else you'd like to add, Matt? Yeah, no, check us out on socials and, uh, and pick up the phone. Give me a call, 604-765-1708. I'd love to talk to you. And before we go, we have one more thing to do, Mike. We're going to talk about what we're going to talk about next week. Oh, yeah. This is a really important part of it. And it's the pre-designed planning. 
most of the best work that we do is in the planning process of it. And we're going to talk about design build versus house designer versus architect and really help set you down a road where you can understand some of the different people, the role they play, and which is the right one to work with for you to create the best possible results. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. Follow us and review us to help empower homeowners like yourself to make the right decision the first time. And automatically by doing so, you'll be entered to win a gas barbecue courtesy of our friends at Fortis BC. Whoa, 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 slow down. This isn't just a gas barbecue from our friends at Fortis BC. This is a precision cooking machine. The Napoleon Prestige P500 stainless steel natural gas barbecue. You can cook some great things on it. And if you know barbecues, you know this brand is an amazing brand and an awesome prize that I wish I could win as well. Until next time, this is Mike Friedman. And I'm going to brush up on my knowledge of barbecues. I'm Jennifer Lee, reminding you to measure twice and cut once. Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals.